Dallas duo in your town. You might want to stick around. We give it to you nice and raw. We don't hold back our tongue. Anything you hear around here, it's our views just to be clear. Cause it's about the realness. You better come and listen in. You don't want to miss this. Call me when it's over, show. What's going on, everybody? It's your girl's favorite out of Josie's boy. And I'm Alexis A. McCoy. And welcome to another episode of Call Me When It's Over. Um, we yes. first off want to apologize for a little background noise. They are doing construction in our building and it is extremely annoying. <laughs> so we apologize yes. for that one. We do. Yeah. So, I mean, this is technically our last episode. Well, not technically, literally is. Literally. You're yeah. right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for everybody wondering, uh, Alexis is not at home right now. She had to take care of some family business. So, unfortunately, she was not in for the interview that we have in store, which I'll tell you. You guys are going to absolutely love, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So, we have uh, the incomparable one of well, somebody that we've been trying to get on the show for a while. And we, yeah. set, we set our sights on him and we made it happen. So, uh, Michael, Michael Warren, a.k.a. Pastor Mike from the world-famous FCBC Church. Yes. And um, I know you guys are going to enjoy this. I think this is the perfect way to send off our amazing podcast um, and let people know that it's great things ahead for us and the, the rest of our listeners to be inspired. So, um, this, I, I'm, I'm excited for you guys to hear that. Uh, interview yeah it's 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 definitely it's definitely something i'm so do you you have um anything you want to say before we get into the interview um i just want to thank you for the opportunity to um use my voice and um spread my truth and tell my truth and um be able to have a good year and a half ride with you i know you've been doing this for a very long time and um Congratulations to you for reaching a peak in your in your podcast career that you're able to move on to something bigger and better. So I just want to thank you, and I just want to thank all of our listeners for listening for as long as you've been listening. Um, and we just want you guys to continue to follow us. We are going to keep our Instagram pages are still active at Alana Fuss. You can follow me at Alana Fuss on Instagram and Love is Enough Productions on Instagram for our, my business. Um, to keep in contact with me and just follow what what I'm doing and what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been fun. No, thank you for coming and spreading your voice and living in your truth. Because if there was more people like you, the world would be completely different. You know? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll just get into the interview and we'll talk to you guys soon. guys we are back and today i have a very very special guest so i'll tell you i've been doing this podcast for going on four years five years excuse me going on five years and since alexis got on the show last year uh we kind of made out a list of the people we wanted on and this man was literally at the top no exaggeration um so today i have with me 
the cultural architect and the lead visionary of the world famous FCBC in Harlem, Michael Warren, a.k.a. Pastor Mike. Pastor Mike, how you doing today, brother? Good today, my brother. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you so much for sitting in and being able to talk with me. I, I appreciate it so much. Oh, no worries, man. It was my honor to be here. Yeah. So now I do have a little bit of sweet news and it's it's kind of it's it's good and bad. So everybody who's listening, of course, Alexis is not here today. Um, She has you'll hear her in the beginning of the episode when we do the intro. But uh, she had a family emergency. But um, we announced it last week. So, Pastor Mike, you are actually the last guest on this show. Um, the show was going on five years and we're actually ending it with this episode. Wow. Yeah. So you've been on my list to be on the show for a while. And, um, I started attending FCBC three years ago. Got you. And little, and it's, you know, you know how it is for us black folk. It's hard to find a good church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> some, some, somewhere where we comfortable, you know, where we, where we feel like we're at home. And I'm not, uh-huh. gonna, I'm not going to lie to you from the first time I heard you speak. I was like, okay. And, and I, a mutual friend, good friend, Robin Brown, shout out to Robin Brown. Yeah. Um, she, she told me, she said, yo, you should come to our church. And Alexis goes, went there too. She was like, y'all should come. Y'all should come. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll come one Sunday. Man, when I, when I sat in that seat and I heard you speak, I was like, nah, this is it. I'm home. <laughs> I'm home. Like, this is it. This is 110%. I'm not going nowhere else. Oh, man. Good stuff. Yeah, man. So, um, I got, and, y'all, and, y'all, and, and you all pretty much got your fixed seat over there. I see y'all most of the time. <laughs> We always on the always on the left. Yeah, to my right. Yes. I see y'all over there. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all be in. Y'all be in it. I mean, listen, I ain't gonna hold you. Like when 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 COVID hit thick and, and the quarantine came, I was like, man, we can't even go to church. Like I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's you know anybody who hasn't been, you know, of course, when all this is over and everything goes back to normal, whatever the new, new normal we have, FCBC is a place where everybody is welcome, literally. So yeah, I've never been to a church where everybody can just be family. Not really. You, it's, it's, it's easy to say you're kind of just in the mix of everything when you go to churches, because you know, there's usually like the, the, the older people who are there who, who have their way of thinking and things of that nature, but you literally mm-hmm. bring every age group in. And I appreciate that. Oh man. That's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that, um, FCBC is a kind of space where, where so many p- people, feel at home feel welcome and feel affirmed that's the biggest thing for me man so thank you for saying that yeah no doubt so before we get into everything i actually just mm-hmm. want to uh get a little just let, let's just let's just get a little loose so i heard something interesting about you robin told me this okay um, so before you found your call and i heard that you almost got signed to a rap deal i sure did that is very interesting because you you're from long island is it yeah i'm from roosevelt roosevelt okay cool so um <laughs> Ro- gro- growing up in Roosevelt, my um, I had heroes, but one of my heroes. Uh, so let me be real. When I was about twelve, thirteen, mm-hmm. my goal, and, and some people still think I do it, but I want to be a stand-up comedian. Oh, I could see you doing that. Yeah, that's why people say that. But I could see you doing that. I want to be a stand-up because of someone I used to see all the time in Roosevelt. Was from Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Is, Eddie, is Eddie Murphy? Oh wow! So as a kid. And, and Roosevelt, Eddie had just started on Saturday Night Live. Okay. And so we were kids hearing about, you know, Eddie being on Saturday Night Live, and we would try to stay up or, or sneak and watch Saturday Night Live because somebody from our town mm-hmm. was on this show. And so instantly, I, I remember watching Eddie and wanted to be um, a comedian. Well, mm-hmm. never kind of faded. But then, you know, the hip-hop scene takes off in the 80s and 
me and a, and a real, real good friend of mine decided we going to form this rap group. And um, we were our, our our group name was Double Effect, believe it or not. Now, that's a kind of fly name, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was too. And the thing was, we had some good inroads because, again, out of Roosevelt, um, one of the persons graduated with my aunt. She went to Roosevelt High School. One of the person graduated with her was was Richard Griffin, Professor Griff. Oh, wow. And a year behind her was Chuck D. If you don't realize Chuck D graduated uh was in the same class with eddie murphy i did not know that so chuck d was out of roosevelt and flavor was from the town over freeport and my rap partner his name was ron mm-hmm. um flavor was his uncle oh wow so we had all kind of you know insides and connection with pe and so when we were trying to you know trying to build up our our our, our skill set you know doing shows and mm-hmm battling folk and all this stuff our hope was one day to be able to go to flave and be like look you know check us out so what we started doing towards my last year of high school after you know we were rhyming for a while mm-hmm. we started working with keith shockley keith shockley was part of the bomb squad his brother hank okay. was one of the main producers for public enemy and so we would go to keith's studio and we was doing like different demos yeah working on different stuff for a little bit and Keith was also working with another group, and that was leaders of the new school, Buster Rhymes and them. Oh, that's crazy. And so um, I remember I had to make a decision. Do I chase this rap thing mm-hmm. or do I go to college? I had a chance to go to college. And so I was like, look, I'm going to Morehouse. And so I remember my, my boy, Ron, was kind of upset because he felt we was walking away from a potential deal mm-hmm. that we could get. But in my mind, I looked at going to the school, Morehouse, given my past, because I wasn't always just a rapper. Some other things I was doing, right. I probably shouldn't have been doing. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I looked at it as a new like opportunity to like recreate myself, start all over again. So I left, and then it was shortly, you know, during that period, then all of a sudden, Leaders New School blew up. And, you know, my boy was upset. He was like, we should have got that deal. <laughs> well, you know, I got a degree. <laughs> I mean, listen, every, everybody's path works out the way it's supposed to. Right. You know right. So did, did you did you have like any did you feel like any any regrets or anything like that after you saw them get signed? Nah, nah, I, I, I really didn't um, because I was so convinced that where I was was mm-hmm. where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And. I knew that there was a, you know, after a while, when I got to Morehouse, I realized there was a deeper calling on my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I always a hip hop head, though, to this day. So, oh, yeah. I mean, always and love it. And but I just knew there's something else I had to do. And so me and my friend, the fun, I'll give you a funny story was, you know, when you're 18 and you're going to college, you want to brag and be boastful. And I, yeah. and I just tell Cash, you know, yo, I used to rhyme. I was in a group and was about to get a deal. You know, you tell them folks, they don't believe you. And <laughs> I knew Public Enemy. Well, at that time, Public Enemy was hot. Yeah. So Public Enemy did a surprise performance at Morehouse. Nobody knew they were coming mm. around homecoming. And so, you know, I was in the dorm, didn't bother to go to homecoming concert because I didn't know who was going to be there. So some of my boys came as, oh, P.E., ain't they, ain't they your boy? They trying to pl- clown me. Yeah. Like Public Enemy just performed. So it's like, ain't your boy? So I was like, yeah. They said, well, come on. So I go now across the campus to the to the chapel where they were having the concert. They had just finished. Mm-hmm. They were in the limo. I literally knocked on the window of the limo, and they rolled it down. And when Flav saw me, they was like, oh, 
So we hung out with Pete, and like, my boys never doubted me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, went, I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I think that's what makes it, that makes you so dope because, you know, you are from, you are of the culture. You want to run. You know, usually when people uh, come into their place, like a lot of pastors come into their place in churches and they take over, yeah. they kind of fall into the whole religion thing and then they become, oh, yeah. they become unrelatable. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember when we went to the, um, the, the FCBC gathering, uh, the, the, um, the day trip, like, uh, was it 2019? I think it was. Oh, yeah. 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 When we went to the day trip, like, of, I mean, of, you know, I've always run into you. Like, we always run into you. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. but being there kind of feeling like, it, the, the the same way it is in the church, it's like that when everybody gets together, it's kind of just family and nobody, yeah. nobody feels like anybody is better than anyone else, you know? There you go. So, um, I think that, that that's what makes you cool. You know, like you are from the culture, you are one of us and super relatable. So, um, you, you know, mm-hmm. I, I will say this real quick. Part of it was I didn't want to do what I'm doing. I didn't want to pass. I, I, I believe in preaching. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I didn't think I could pastor is because, I just had low tolerance for like churchy stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when I started pastoring, I just knew that I, I, I had to always try to remain myself and not get caught up in, you know, <clears throat> the, the preacher stuff. Right. Right. And I, that's one thing I, I, I want to make sure that one, I remain true to myself, but two, create an environment where, as you said, all people feel welcome. I'll tell you why, because I remember when I grew up in a West Indian household and, on Sundays, I couldn't do anything. We couldn't just watch TV, mm-hmm. no radio. I couldn't go outside. So I was mad as a little boy one time about missing out on all this. I'm questioning my grandmother. It got me a lot of, he was getting me a lot of trouble because I used to always have a big mouth and say things I shouldn't have said. Right. But I was like, you know, why I gotta, why we gotta go to church and why I can't go outside my friends? My grandmother said, well, invite your friends. So me at like eight, I go outside, I'm like, yo, y'all wanna come to church? And he was like, no. <laughs> so I'm like, why? And when my friends said, well, we don't have church clothes. That stuck with me, mm. and and that let that's part of the reason why, for the moment, I stopped pastoring. Very shortly after, I started shifting. Even I just wore regular clothes because I never want anybody to come into a church I was leading mm-hmm. and felt they needed church clothes. Yeah. So that experience from eight helped shape a lot of my approach to even creating that environment. I never wanted people to feel they couldn't come without church clothes. I never wanted people to feel like somehow something was wrong with them mm-hmm. for being in the church because they didn't fit the quote unquote you know, expectation of what it meant to be Christian, so to speak. So for me, I, I didn't know any other way but to be myself. And mm-hmm. as I told God, if I'm going to do this and pass, I have to be who I am. I can't be pretentious. I can't put on any, any airs. Mm-hmm. I think that environment kind of helped permeate. It permeates FCBC. I, and, and I, I, I think that's, that's the thing right there. Like that's what kept me out of a church for a long time uh, mm-hmm. was this whole persona that, that yeah. somebody has to put on when they come in, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember inviting my mom to to come to service with us one Sunday. And my mother's like, do I have to dress up? I was like, Ma, I go there in <laughs> wrestling t-shirts and jeans. Like, ain't, ain't nobody going to say nothing to you. Everybody going to come praise the same way. You yeah. know what I'm saying? We all come and find God just like everybody else is. So yeah. you ain't got nothing to worry about, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so did you you found your calling after after college. No, in college, my in freshman college. year. Okay. Freshman year. Okay. Like how, how was, how was that transition for you? Like we, we, I want to touch on that a little bit. Like how was that transition of you kind of going from want to be a rapper to, you know, finding your higher calling? Yeah, I, it was all, I mean, the, the experience at Morehouse was a culture shock for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was, the one thing I was focused on in high school was playing sports and making money. Right. Okay. And 
being a student was you, something. You played ball? Yeah, I played basketball, football, okay, um, and baseball. Okay. And um, so, I mean, I I always was. And those are the one, t- the three times of the year. You knew I wasn't going to really try to get in trouble because I didn't want to miss out. Right. Especially basketball because at that time, my junior year, I was a point guard for the team, and it was the first time in a long time the team from Long Island had been ranked number one in the tri-state area. Okay. And so we we had a fierce team, man. And um, by that time, I had transferred from Roosevelt. I had to go to Freeport High School. So it was Freeport High School that I was playing basketball and football. Mm-hmm. And um, so when I finally got to Morehouse, it was a culture shock because I never was just focused on school. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was powerful about it was I had never also been in an environment that was so affirming of who I was as a black, as a young black man. Mm. And the environment, you know, of Morehouse was pushing you to believe and, and understand that Morehouse men had a responsibility to the country, to mm. our people. And that would that was to be a leader of our people and a leader in this country. I mean, it was like a who's who of Morehouse men who had contributed to the shaping of this country. And the most important person, of course, was Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you as a young man, you get to Morehouse, you see the big statue of King on campus. It's like, hey, this is what we have to do. And so that environment was just amazing to me <clears throat> to have to be an environment that affirming, mm-hmm. but also that inspiring and motivating was new. And I found myself doing things like my freshman year, man, I ran for freshman class president yo, and won. Yeah, I had never done anything like that. Nice. I, first of all, I would never thought about it because just the way I was. But when I got there, man, I remember I entered Morehouse, man. I had a big high top, <laughs> big with all the parts, man. <laughs> by the time I came home for for for, uh, for Thanksgiving, yeah, the first time home, I remember when I got off the plane, and, I, and that was the days before you know you could people come meet you at the gate. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. So my mom's at the gate when I get off the plane. My mother saw me and just broke down crying. I got off that plane. I had on a, a jacket. I had on a ja- a blazer, mm-hmm. a tie, a shirt, some slacks on. My hair was cut. She just broke out crying. She oh, was in wow. shock. She was in shock. And to see that bigger change in me from August to November, you know, was was amazing. And, you know, I also kind of used that position I had as freshman class president. That's how I met my girl, my wife. Because she was a freshman class vice president at Spelman. So I kind of parlayed that into a relationship. Okay. All right. I'm not mad at that. You got to give it how you fit in. I ain't mad at that. Like, that's a that's a good look. That's smart. Use a little bit of your power just to, you know. Come on, man. You know. <laughs> but um, so Morehouse taught you a little bit more about leadership and kind of oh, staying oh, forward. Which, um, so, and I, I find the title, you know, the title that you have. Uh, of course, we all know you lead pastor at the church. But, um. What stuck out to me was the title that you have on Instagram, cultural architect and lead visionary. Yeah. Now to, to, to kind of, and I, I think that goes along with you um, in my perception, that goes along with you being part of the culture and kind of being more invited because that sounds way more inviting than just, Hey, I'm the pastor here. You know, I'm the lead pastor. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it sounds less, it sounds less like I'm in charge of everything and everybody yeah. and all the work comes from me. No, this sounds like, Hey, I want to mm-hmm. build my community. Absolutely. Listen, I I remember years ago meeting a pastor who had um, on his robe, Mm -hmm. you know, senior pastor. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, if if you got to put something on your robe Mm -hmm. to indicate you're the senior pastor, that says more about you and your own insecurity. I'm just saying. And 
And leadership is not about the ability to lord your title over people. Mm-hmm. Leadership is about cultivating and creating an environment where everybody sees their possibility and potential. Mm. But if you spend all your time consuming all the oxygen in every room you enter, which doesn't allow other people to grow, expand and breathe, then you're not really a leader. Most definitely. Not, you I, know, I agree. hundred yeah. percent. And, and I, I think th- that's the thing. It's like you, you clearly when you're around, you have a presence like, you know how it is. P- people, yeah. people who are true to themselves and true to what they do. They have a presence when they walk in the room. But the thing is, nobody kind of nobody shies away from you. It doesn't it doesn't seem like you're just this top of the hierarchy. Like everybody wants to be around you. Yeah. No, no. I, one thing I, I, I never want um, people to feel in my presence is that they have to feel diminished in my presence. Mm. Um, and for me, again, that goes back to leadership. That goes back to just being a, 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 a human being. Mm-hmm. And that is that you can't that people ought to feel better mm-hmm. um, in your presence and they ought to to feel um, that being in your presence expands who they are. Mm-hmm. That's kind of deepening your own humanity. So if if we all not just about being a pastor or a leader, but if we all thought that way, think about how relationships would look if we entered relationships and spaces believing that our presence meant in some way, our presence need to contribute to the expansion of other people's humanity. Just think about what that would mean and what that would look like in this country, in this world, really. Oh, yeah. So oh, sure. I, I, I had been turned off by seeing preachers <clears throat> as a young man coming up in college, seeing preachers who thought they were better than everybody else and acted like it and acted like everybody had to genuflect in their presence and everybody had to carry their stuff. Mm-hmm. I hated seeing that. And I refused to be that person because that's not who I am. And no matter no matter what position I got, no matter what church I was in, I was never going to become that mm-hmm. because it wasn't going to be true to who I am. You know what I mean? Most definitely. So the notion of being, you know, kind of <clears throat> true to the, true to true to the game, true to who you are, that was that's how I lived. And I I never wanted somebody to say, "Oh, he act one way in church and some and different outside." Yeah. You know, I I make you laugh. My very first Bible study here mm-hmm. at FCBC in two thousand and four. And, you know, I said probably the most unexpected thing, because, again, I know how people are and how people try to treat pastors and put people on pedestals. Mm-hmm. And I was not I, I deflated all that day one. I said, let me just say this to you all. If anyone comes to you and say, hey, I saw your pastor and his wife at the club uh, dancing. I said, that was us. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, if anyone says I saw your pastor and his wife. At a line having a drink, I was like, "That's gonna be us." Mm-hmm. If somebody says, "I saw your pastor smoking a cigar," that's gonna be me. There you go. I said, "So I'm gonna deflate all that other stuff right now, day one." So you clear about who you got as your pastor, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pretend. I'm not gonna be myself. I, and and, I think that's amazing. Yeah, and people appreciate, and they learn to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, um. You know, I, it was it was it's just, it's just that's just how, how how I operate, bro. And and I don't know any other way to be. No, and and I I think with the with the way well with the investment in the internet and the way social media is right now, people have this whole thing of th- this false sense of celebrity. Oh, you know? God. like people want to be. It's funny because I was on I was on the phone with um a young lady I know where we're we were talking about doing some business, and um she has like maybe twelve thousand followers. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not stunting on that, but I, I understand business wise why that's mm-hmm. important. 
Yeah. Um, she's, she starts telling me how people would hit her up and, you know, talk to her like she's something bigger than what she really is. And she's like, listen, I'm just a person that I live here downtown or whatever. I'm paying my rent. Like I'm just a human. And that kind of brought me back to, so, um, I'm, I'm an artist. You know, I've been painting, you know, I I did the the, the painting on one of your your live streams before. Yeah, Yeah. 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 So, um, I've been doing this for a very long time, you know, and I remember I would do, I did a live painting this one time. And this lady walked up to me and I'm I'm not big on everybody touching me, especially when I don't know you. Like, it's just <laughs> I believe in personal space. You feel me? Mm-hmm. So she had walked up to me and she like grabbed my arms and looked me in my face and she said, you gave me life. And I said, no, that's God's work. That ain't me. Don't don't put that on me. Like, that's, right, right, that was, right. That was super uncomfortable. She said, what do you mean? Can't you just take the compliment? I said, you're not complimenting me now. You're praising me. That's a, yeah. that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a whole other thing. And, you know, to, yeah. be, to be like before I started coming to the church, um, Robert was telling me, she's like, you know, I know she called you PM. So mm-hmm. she was like, you know, she's at PM is like, she, he's cool. Like he's and I'm like, all right, cool. Like, let me, you know, let me see this for myself. And the way you are of the people and the way you are with everyone, that kind of makes everybody want to be a part. And that's why I, I personally I like I love volunteering with you guys. Like it makes yeah. more people in my age group and younger come through yeah. and just want to be a part of something. Cause it's like, it's not just, Hey, I'm helping this person uh, yeah. that, that is the head of something. It's like, this person is also in the trenches with us. Yeah, man. Yeah. Okay. So I, that, mm-hmm. that's important, bro. I mean, it's important. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, I think, listen, when, when you said something, I don't want to get in the t- off on a tangent, but yeah. you know, our culture has a tendency to celebritize everything. Yes. Right. Yes. And, Everything is about image and shallowness. Like if you think about Instagram and stuff, this is about people putting forward snapshots of their best selves. And and what happens is you have people now, young people, measuring themselves, measuring their lives by somebody's snapshot. Right. Think about that. You have people whose (laughs) self-esteem is shaky, low whose self-image is low because they're constantly comparing themselves to people on social media. Well, this person got 12,000 followers. I only have 5,000. I must not be as valuable as important. This person has half a million followers. I got 3,000. What is, I must not be valuable important. And then you start doing things to try to get more followers. Or think about the shallowness of this, mm-hmm. trying to get more likes. Imagine, <sighs> I put a sermon a, a while ago during the pandemic, the danger of looking for likes. Yes, yes. Right? And this idea that you're constantly looking for affirmation from spaces and people, one who you don't know, spaces that you're not familiar with, you want the affirmation of strangers more than the love of people who care for you. Mm. And and that's what this culture does right now with social media and the celebrating of everything. Again, we are comparing our life worth to a snapshot of some person we don't even know. We aspire to do things and become things based on these snapshots not knowing of the struggle, not knowing of the pain, not knowing of what they, they go through. I look at, you know, my daughter. My daughter has a lot of followers mm-hmm. on Instagram, right? But I know her life. Yeah. Right? I know her life story. I know her struggles. I know things she's been through in life. And what people don't get in in social media is the journey of people. Yeah. We just get, for most of us, we get certain arrival points and the poor, per, the, poor, the parts that people don't want to share. So for me... Something you said, I'm, you know, and you've been here enough to know I'm real transparent, bro. I'm going to be very transparent in the pulpit, mm-hmm. vulnerable, which is, which is different because again, most people want to give snapshots yeah. of, of their best selves. And I think that, that hurts us culturally. 
It has led to the rise in suicide rates among young people, Mm -hmm. among depression among young people, um, because they don't feel loved or affirmed because they measure their value on these kind of shallow, um, 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 I think, these shallow ways of measuring ourselves Mm -hmm. based on things that are not even real, (sighs) fabricated, right? And that's how life, that's how right now in this moment, everything. Think about this. Well, you just said it. People making business decisions on shallowness. Yes. You know, yes. I know a preacher who got an opportunity to do a TV show and the show bombed. Mm. Wasn't even good. Talk show wasn't good. But the decision to give the person show was based on his social media presence. Again, snapshots, even preaching. Here's a deep thing. Mm-hmm. Preaching in itself, in and of itself if you have a guarded personality preaching and keeping people at bay, right? What makes like take take a talk show? What makes a talk show good? The best talk show hosts are the people who are transparent and vulnerable in front of the camera. Yes, that create an environment that everyone who comes on is relaxed. But if you spend your life keeping people at arm's length, being pretentious, putting on airs, when you get on the TV to run, a, a, to, it comes across. It definitely does. So, so, so you gave somebody the, the network gives somebody a shot at a show based on social media and following but the reality is people will follow you on social media that don't mean they're going to tune in to watch you every day oh yeah oh yeah you know and that's what i think bad business decisions are being made now in this moment in this cultural moment because we're making decisions based on tragic shallowness bro i i agree 110 percent. and it's funny real quick this is this is so that's a big reason why i'm giving up podcasting yeah. Now it's I've, it's gonna be five years in March, and I'm like, when I started it, it, it served its purpose. It's like I had it had a spark for like two, three years or whatever. I felt that I knew the people I interviewed. Like we even had um, we even had uh, uh Pastor Trey on the show. Oh yeah, yeah, we had him on the show too. So we so it's like we I know, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know y'all just so happen to know each other, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um we like we 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 wanted to bring our community in like the, the the artists and the people who are like going through real life. Like we wanted to when yeah. I had a friend of mine hit me the other day and she says, "You know, I love listening to you, Alexis." It's like she said, "Y'all always got something to talk about." And I said, "You want to know something? This is exactly how we are every single day. It's always a conversation. Yeah. It's always just us. You know, we never try to put a front on anything and what made me give up podcasting was ego. Every, so many people just want to hear themselves talk. They just want to be a part of something. And in, in where my mission is going right now, honestly, I feel like God told me, just leave it alone. He's like, that's not you. It's like, if, if it's, it's like you said, it's the best, the best talking, the best speaking, the best shows, the best anything has to have some kind of vulnerability in it. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to give your life story every single time, but I need to know that I'm listening to a real person. Yeah. You yeah. Absolutely. And absolutely. I, for me, I think one of the, one of my favorite moments. <laughs> And one of one of the best best moments of your, your honesty, this was two two Christmases ago, and you were telling mm-hmm. a nativity story in your words. And a, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, but a woman got up and she said, "Are you preaching?" And the whole church turned around and looked at her. And it was mm-hmm. like, it was like one of those moments where like the record just scratches and the club stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she and she and she tried to go back and forth with you, and the first thing you asked her was like, "Do you read your Bible?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like what like, I remember that Sunday. It was a middle of service too. Yes. Yeah. And and I'm like, and I was sitting there and I'm like, yo, that's it. It's like so many people get lost in like, I guess what they deem to be the truth instead of kind of pulling what they feel from something. Hey, bro. And here's the thing. 
And that's why I said she was based and she had never read the story mm -hmm. or didn't understand the story or had been told the story without reading it. Mm -hmm. But here's the other thing. After that service, I never get one of my guys here was like, he said, man, he said, most pastors probably just ignored her and kept preaching. Yeah. I was like, nah, if she if in my mind, if she bold enough to interrupt the sermon mm -hmm. in front of thousands of people, well, I'm going to be the same when I respond. Let's go. Let's go. Like, I don't got no problem with that. Like, I, 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 I listen, anybody, you know, anybody who comes to. My teaching, no, I will go, I will accept any question. Mm -hmm. I will engage you. I got no problem doing that because I'm a teacher. Yeah. So you can't claim to be a teacher and then don't want to teach. Mm. You know, you can't, you can't be a teacher and then afraid of questions. That is, that's a word. That's so a that, word. That, if you're a teacher, that's what you expect. And you create the environment. And, and that's, I remember years ago, someone came to me who joined and say, you know, they had never been in a Bible study like mine because usually Bible study was like pastor, give a mini sermon, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I'm creating an environment where questions can be asked. What I know, I know. What I don't, I'm going to say I don't know. But I'm going to make sure you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of Socratic method. I don't want to indoctrinate you in my way of thinking, but especially in Christianity, when I realized, based on what you just said, mm -hmm. many people enter Christianity with assumptions about doctrine they've been told and never investigated for themselves. Yes. So what you find in church is a, is a whole culture based on repetition. Right. That's it. Not a culture based on study and investigation. Yeah. So when you start pushing people to study, investigate, dig deeper, man, there's resistance to that mm -hmm. because we, we enter church with a lot of assumptions, theological assumptions. And the truth is, Think about this, man. I'm going to be very, this may change a different conversation, but think about church mm -hmm. is the one space that has not evolved. Man. <laughs> Bro, we operating, in, think about it. Where, in what other part of our culture are we operating in a language system that's over 2,000 years old? Yes. That are still affirming, we would call people from 2,000 years ago primitive. We would. Or ancient. Mm -hmm. Look, we we're still operating on a way of believing that was primitive and ancient. We are reading stories where people thought the sun stood still. That's called a that's called a solar eclipse, bro. Right. But they didn't understand that back then. Right. I told somebody one time in, in, a, in, a, in a well TNT, which is our, our former Bible study. Mm -hmm. I said, if you went to the dentist and they had to remove a tooth, and the dentist came to you. And said, look here, drink six shots of this vodka mm -hmm. and just and, and grab down. I'm about to yank this bad boy. You would run out of there saying, this man is crazy. <laughs> of You'd course. Be like, where's the Novocaine? You know, back in my, when I was young, I was like, where's the sleeping gas, right? Yeah, yeah. To make you laugh and act silly. Yeah. If a person now tried to pull your teeth with pair of pliers and some alcohol telling you to take some drinks. Nah, bro. You would be like, you crazy. It's like, yeah, you know what? You about to lose your job. You about to lose it all. <laughs> so we evolved. Yeah. But in church, we haven't evolved because we refuse to continue to dig deeper and study. And yet we follow a person in Jesus mm -hmm. who was disruptive in his day because he was pushing his people to evolve in their thinking. Yes. yes. And yet we're afraid of evolving in our thinking. And you, 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 this jumps right into what I was about to go into. Like, we, I know we got about 10 minutes left. So, right. um, now you, oh, there's always a mission statement for the church. You uh -huh. know, um, every so last year, I know it was, uh, for the past two years, it's been, it was be human. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's be human. And, um, and if, if that, if those words literally did not fit 
what 2020 needed. Mm-hmm. Like I could, I, it, clearly we've seen, we've seen all the, 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 the civil unrest, the, the civil un, unju- injustice, uh, the killings, mm-hmm. everything that's possibly could have happened, happened last year. Yeah. And then of course we started in 2021 in a really interesting way. Ooh. In a very interesting way, like I, I know you see the news, we're not gonna get too with, much of with, it with, with an insurrection <laughs> in the country mm. led by the president of the United States. Ain't that something? Ain't it right? The, the 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 leader of the free world is telling mm-hmm. telling people to take over a building, but you won't even Guilty let us of sedition. Mm. Won't even let and us sit sit in front and say we want justice. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I, I, I will tell you this, mm-hmm. just so you know. The be human language is actually, and I've I've not intentionally said it. I've said it, but not like sat and taught on it. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that probably this year. But be human is kind of our movement. Yes. What we've yes. done with be human is add other things. So, so when you said be human was perfect twenty twenty, if you remember the actual sub theme, yes, was it's bigger than you. It was, and that's why be human is still under everything. Yes. Everything. Yes. It undergirds everything. This year, I am resilient. Yeah, and I was going right into that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely. underneath that is be human. Yeah. I, I, peeped, I peeped it during the um the watch night live stream when when it panned mm-hmm. out and I said uh, I, I love that you know of course be human should be something that everybody should live by we need to just sometimes it's just take it back to the basics yeah that's it nothing else you know so um this year it's I am resilient mm-hmm. and uh, of course you know what I was when I was listening to the watch night you know me and Alexis mm-hmm. watched the whole stream and um sitting there thinking like so many people were saying I wanted 2020 to be over because it was so much that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel, I feel, I feel for a lot of people. I know a lot of people who lost family members, who lost yeah. friends. There was uh, people lost a lot of people in their lives by death and decision. You know, yeah. so it's like uh, there were so many people who didn't have somebody to speak to. So many, so many people who didn't have to anybody to run to. We had a lot of financial issues, and when midnight hit and January first came around, I'm like, every, every every day, of course, every day that you get to wake up is a blessing. But to make it another 365 days in a year where so many people disappeared off this earth. That is huge. And when I saw the statement that she was, I am resilient. It made me think there was so many, like, uh, of course, in the midst of so many, so much bad happening, I saw so much good happen in 2022. Like I saw a lot of people start new businesses. I saw a lot of people break generational curses. I saw a lot of people just become who they're supposed to be. And when I saw I'm resilient, I said, this is so fitting. And I know you have sermons going, um, all January, uh, all January about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how, how you, did you get, you'll get some insight. I'm recording a sermon today for this coming Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's called resilient in the face of absurdity. Mm. Yeah. I'm excited about that one. Huh? So, <laughs> so now, so now how, how did you, how did you, uh, what, what led you to the I am resilient? What led you to that? Man, well, if you remember, it was actually the title of a sermon I preached during the pandemic. Yes, I do remember. It, yeah, I mm-hmm. did a whole series on I am a warrior, I am resilient, I am mm-hmm. a bridge builder. And um, towards the end of the year, I was trying to think of what, what should we use? And at first, it was just going to be resilient. But mm-hmm. then talking to the exec team and I was sharing it, I said, we should just go with I am resilient. Because it really speaks about what we discovered about ourselves in 2020. Mm-hmm. And what we need facing this year, you know, people act as though, you know, COVID is on a calendar. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) COVID is going to be like, oh, it's 2021 now. Let's chill. Right. 
no, we may need that resilience in this first quarter of the year more than before. Because if people are really paying attention, I think we've become accustomed to COVID. Mm -hmm. But look at everything. The numbers are going up. Mm -hmm. Places around the world are shutting down again. You know, my home country, Barbados, just went down another lockdown because two people tested positive and tried to get out the country. It locked down the whole country. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Great Britain is locked down until February, I think, 13th. Jeez, I didn't even know that. Yeah, man, like London is locked down. So, like, it's going up again. And that same resilience we're going to need. It's not like all of a sudden 2021 comes and restaurants are going to open up. Jobs are going to reappear again. Mm -hmm. Hotels are going to open back up. No, this is going to be an ongoing crisis that is going to take years to come. Not years to to deal with the virus, but years to emerge out of the damage of it. And we have to show that resilience. And so for me... The resilience language is necessary. And what I said is, is that it's not so much a theme as much as it is a battle cry for Mm -hmm. 2021. Mm -hmm. You know, let that be your battle cry. I am resilient Um, because you have to remind yourself of that when all the insanity and the ambiguity of life kind of assaults you. Mm -hmm. You have to remind yourself of who you are. And I've often said too often we sit here and let things happen to us and we don't happen to things. Yeah. Oh, that's right? a good one right there. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> so, one. So I am resilient. Speaks to to you know to to our strength, to our gifts, to our power, to our ability to not just survive but thrive. Into mm-hmm. it's it's it's, it's an announcement. I am resilient. It doesn't matter what comes my way. It doesn't matter what shows up in front of me. Mm-hmm. It will not. It will not define me or deter me. And so. That to me is critical. That's why I came. To, it made perfect sense, you know. Um, and for me, as I shared, I think the last Sunday of the year, mm-hmm. when I um, the sermon was, um, I'm fired. Uh, I've been fire tested, mm-hmm. and I shared for the first time publicly that you know me and my wife, my whole family had COVID, mm. and most folks didn't know because in January I had missed a couple of Sundays. In January, I didn't know what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife and I were both down, bro. And that was me and Alexis in December. Yeah, see, Mm -hmm. when all this stuff happened, was starting to happen in March and whatnot, I was like, you know what? This sounds like what we had. And we we actually got tested for the antibodies. We were doing that here at FCBC. Mm -hmm. And we tested positive for the antibodies. And I was like, see, we had it. And then my son had it in June. Mm -hmm. My daughter had it in the spring. Mm -hmm. We all had it. And so I talk about resilient, bro. But my medical condition, yes. my biggest fear was getting COVID, not knowing I already had it. Right. Because we right? didn't know what it was. Then you know what it was. So mm-hmm. when I talk about being resilient, bro, like, like I, I know personally what I had to, not just physically, but then with the church. Mm-hmm. We had to make a, a immediate adjustments to how we do church. Right. And, and a lot of my colleagues weren't in a position like we were to do, to shift quickly. Um, And we did. And, and and I told everybody, I said, look, we had nine months of learning. Now, 2021, we got to execute even differently. That's it. We did a lot. Mm-hmm. We got to execute differently. But, you know, we're resilient. You're res- we're, we're resilient. And deeper than that, bro, we come from resilient people. Yes, we do. And we got resilient DNA in us. Yes, we do. So that this, this I thought, and it's not to minimize the moment, mm-hmm. but, you know, people that look like you and I, that had the same blood as you and I, endured a darkness we can't even imagine. That's a fact. A darkness we can't even fathom. And and you and I being here yeah. is a testimony that somebody that looked like us, that had our same blood and, and DNA, survived, and not just survived, 
but did the most courageous thing to do in the brutality of slavery, and that's to have children and give life. Man, listen. <laughs> Let that you, oof, <laughs> you ain't never lie about that one. We definitely yes, are. Sir. We definitely have the blood of warriors, of many what? warriors running through what? our bodies. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. But um, to, we are near the end right now. So Robert, okay. the last thing I need you to do for me, please. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I know we spoke about you finding your calling as you came out of school mm-hmm. and everything of that nature. A lot of people are coming out of 2020 and into 2021 with uh, new callings, but they don't know how to let go of some of their older older traits and older projects they're working on. If you <laughs> can give a little bit of advice to somebody who, who they feel, who they feel they're nearing the, their calling, but they don't know how to let go of their past. Would you uh-huh. be able to give them a little bit of advice to that? Or move yeah, forward? I'm going to give you a four minute sermon. Go right ahead right, on that. When in, in, in the old Testament, Israel had always been prop, give, told about the promised land mm-hmm. that God had set land aside for the people of Israel. When they finally entered the promised land, it was not under Moses. It was under the leadership of Joshua, right? Joshua led them into the promised land. Now, here's the thing. The reason why it took 40 years was because during Moses's leadership, the people didn't believe. They didn't trust when they got to the promised land the first time. Hmm. They doubted. In fact, wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. And so God said because of their doubt and unbelief that Israel would not enter the promised land until the generation of doubters died. Mm-hmm. Right. So now when you get to the point in the book of Joshua, when Israel is about to enter the New Testament, I'm not the promised land. Rather, when they're about to enter the promised land, which is Canaan um, in Joshua, something had to happen for them to enter this new land, this new day, this new phase, this new part of their life. And according to what God told the people under Moses, they would not enter until that generation died. So imagine this. Imagine this. That a sign that you are closer to your breakthrough, your new day, your new reality was the more death you had around you. Mm. That the deaths of that generation and the more deaths, the closer you got to the promise. So one way I've described it is, you know, the more you could smell the stench of death, Mm -hmm. the closer you were to the promise. So what does that mean? Many of us want to enter the promised land, but don't want to experience the death of even things we love. Ooh. And oftentimes, the greatest hindrance to entering our new season mm-hmm. is holding on to the old season too long. Yeah, man. And so what we have to accept is that along this journey that we take, if we're going to evolve and inhabit new promised lands, new spaces, new phases of our lives, there must be necessary deaths. Some things have to die. Ways of thinking, even some dreams you have to experience the death of to really fall into a space. I got to a point in 2018 where I had a real revelation. Mm -hmm. I've been holding on to a dream of mine that I had since I was 20. And God made it clear. I actually preached a sermon called Necessary Deaths. That, well, the death of your last dream. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that that dream I was holding on to was the dream of the 20-year-old, not the reality of the 48-year-old. Mm. And I didn't realize I was so fixated on that dream from when I was 20. I did not realize that I had outgrown that dream, mm. that, that I was actually doing more than what that dream I had was shaped by. I had outgrown it, 
I had surpassed it. So imagine desiring something that would mean a lessening of who you are. Oh, wow. Versus walking into the new space that has emerged and evolved along your journey. Um, and that's the challenge. So I say to those who are entering this new year and you know you can feel something new about to break. You can you know that you're closer to where you need to be and being where you need to be means a moving away from what was. Mm-hmm. Think about the necessary deaths. And oftentimes, in order for new life to come about, there has to be some funerals. And maybe the best thing we can do as we're in that phase between where we were and between where we're going is to start making some funeral arrangements for what needs to be let go of and die. Mm. If there was any way to end this show, that was it. <laughs> cool, oh, man. Pastor Mike, I, I truly, truly, truly appreciate you for taking time to speak with us. Oh, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me, bro. I appreciate it. And listen, I am grateful that you chose me to shut it down, man. I'm with you. Listen, some, somebody <laughs> got to, I, I won't have anybody else drop the mic. I won't have anybody else drop the mic. So man, um, I appreciate if that, you bro. can real quick, can you give everybody uh, information on like where they can get uh, FCBC and where they can find, oh, yeah. you find your sermons yeah. and things of that nature? Okay. Well, you can find, we keep all, we keep, I would say just about all of our sermons mm-hmm. uh, cataloged on our website. That's um, fcbcnyc.org, fcbcnyc.org. On Instagram, it's at fcbcnyc. I think on Twitter, it's fcbc underscore nyc. Mm-hmm. And then you can go on our YouTube channel, fcbcnyc, and you can also look at uh, past sermons, past events we've had, um, um, panels, all that stuff. So at FCBC NYC Instagram, personally, you can find me um, at Mike Walren, M-I-K-E-W-A-L-R-O-N-D, as in David, at Mike Walren on Instagram and Twitter. But, you know, I ain't, I, I'm on it yeah. and been doing more of it. But, you know, it's what it is. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. So, brother, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too, man. I'm definitely going to send you out a link. I'll email sharing the link so you, you can check out the episode, okay? Cool. Appreciate it, man. Take it easy, brother. All right. Peace. All right, guys. So, the curtain is closing. The lights are going down. This is officially the final episode of the Coleman Sober Podcast. Uh, on, on behalf of Alexis A. McCoy and myself, uh, Josie's boy, your girl's favorite artist, I would like to say thank you to everybody who has listened, downloaded, streamed, uh, participated on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, Facebook, anything that anything of that nature for the past four years. You guys made the show what it was. Um, we decided to deliver culture and you guys did nothing but uh, receive it and definitely give it give back the love. So uh, to my guy, Rich at Rageworks. Thank you, brother. I truly appreciate you for giving myself and Alexis this platform. Um, this is not the end. This is not goodbye. This is definitely a big time. See you later. Uh, for now, there are other adventures that we have to go on other things that we have to finish and other projects that we have to take care of so um everybody at radrox big shout out to y'all you know what i'm saying radrox is a family for, of us no matter what uh yeah so to everybody who who loves us we appreciate y'all and we love y'all too and for the final time until next time speak up speak out and leave your ego at the door we're done